welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and this week I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabit, to discuss the latest Boeing 737 MAX grounding and JetBlue's leadership transition. Enjoy. Hey, Jay. What a week we're having here. Oh, yeah. Ned, never a dull moment. I thought we were going to be uh, thinking only about earnings this week because uh, Q4 season starts uh, Friday. By the way, we're talking on Thursday morning. Uh, but uh, no, something something else has uh, come come up. Not uh, not a particularly good thing for, for the airline industry. Not at all. So if uh, for those few of you who have not heard, uh, the a Boeing 737 MAX 9 uh, on takeoff out of Portland International Airport in Oregon uh, last Friday lost a door plug in a sudden decompression event. This is an Alaska Airlines operated jet. And uh, we now all MAX 9s with door plugs are grounded worldwide. So that affects primarily Amer- Alaska and United, though also Aeromexico, Copa, Turkish. And we're waiting for guidelines from Boeing on how airlines can inspect their door plugs and return the planes to service. The, so it, everything's pending, but it's, it's not a good look for Boeing, which was already under the microscope for the previous MAX grounding. And now it's increasingly looking like uh, what Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun calls quality escape. Now, these door plugs are installed by Spirit Aerosystems, a major supplier for Boeing, and then they're checked by Boeing at the factory in Renton. Um, so <clears throat> it's this is not a good look for Boeing. That's for sure, Jay. Yeah. Right, right. And it's, uh, yeah, Boeing has had all sorts of, uh, of, of production problems and you know, to be clear, Airbus has had its share of production problems too, as well as the whole supplier ecosystem in aviation. Um, now, I'm not going to speak anything about the safety aspects about that. That's uh, beyond my scope of expertise. I just thought I would say a few words about the MAX and sort of what airlines use it for and who's flying it and things like that. Um, perhaps Please. that's that's of interest. Yeah. So I'll start by, um, as you mentioned, Ned, it's uh, pretty much an airline that's flown uh, just by United and Alaska, uh, Copa, I think you mentioned a couple others, Aeromexico has 19 of them, Turkish 5, et cetera, a few other onesies and twosies here, Iceland Airliner. But United and Alaska are the two big ones. Now for United, it's um, pretty much, I mean, I think they'll have no problem managing their schedules. I'm sure they're, you know, they're, there's some disruption uh, having these out of service, but it's a pretty small percentage of their overall fleet. Now for Alaska, they've got 65 of them. That's out of a total mainline fleet of 231. So that's almost 30% of their entire mainline fleet. So that's right. a big issue for them. Um, now, you know, the MAX, the way I like to think about just stepping back for a moment, you know, it's like when you order anything, when you order, when you order a cup of coffee, you know, you go into Starbucks and they might say, Do you want a small, medium, large, or extra large? And that's kind of the way aircraft manufacturers sell their planes. So Boeing right now has essentially three passenger airplane products that they sell. They have the 737, they have the 787, and the 777. Now, the latter two are are wide bodies, typically for overseas flying. So the 737, which the latest sort of iteration of that is the MAX, comes in four sizes, essentially small, medium, large, extra large. Now, the small one is the the Dash 7, the MAX 7. And that's pretty much an airline only that's going to be used only pretty much by Southwest. 
Allegiance ordered a few. I think WestJet ordered a few. It's pretty much a Southwest only aircraft. So, sort of. An, I mean, they they they've ordered a lot of them, but uh, sort of a niche niche uh, uh, sub product there. Now, the Max Eight is the standard one that's widely used everywhere in the world. I mean, thousands. There are more than a thousand. Yeah, exactly. There are more than a thousand Max Eights in service. More than a thousand on order. This is per Sirium fleet's analyzer data. It's yeah, like you said, it is the mainstay of the Max fleet. Exactly. And now the MAX-9, which is the aircraft in question here, there's only 215 of them in service, um, maybe a slightly outdated, or let's let's not say in service, because uh, that doesn't take into account the grounding. But before the grounding, there was 215 of them. That's according to Sirium Fleet, uh, Fleet's Analyzer. Uh, so it's a pretty, also a pretty niche aircraft, like, like we said, you know, besides United Alaska, a few others, it's really uh, not something that's garnered too much uh too much interest. Um, it's not even an aircraft that Boeing really markets too much anymore. Um, it's not that much bigger than the Max Eight. It's it's really you know you get a little bit of extra extra put uh, you know extra seats in there, maybe a row or two. But then you start you know once you add an extra row, particularly if you're a low cost carrier and you pack them in, you just then have to often order uh, add another flight attendant. So it's like it's just not a very popular aircraft. So after the Max 9, uh, Boeing started marketing that. They later started marketing a Max 10, which, like the 7, doesn't have certification. That's the extra large version in my little metaphor yes. there. And that one is very popular, um, not quite popular as, as the Max 8, but uh, that one's very interesting. A lot of airlines have ordered that. Great, great unit cost on that. Um, sort of designed to compete against A321neo, which is Airbus's like superstar product. Um, so I hope I didn't go into too much detail, but that's uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, sort of the product lineup that Boeing offers, you know, there you have it. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah, yeah it's, uh, we, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say like, but we're, you know, <clears throat> one could say it's lucky that this is happening on Boeing's least popular Max product because it's the one that's going to affect the fewest operators. But to be clear, it is never good when a part of a plane, uh, part of a fuselage separates from a plane during a sudden decompression or other event. And we are extremely lucky that no one was killed in this event. There was no one actually sitting in the seat next to the window, which was, I mean, in this day and age with high load factors is, is rare. That that said, you know, I don't want to dismiss the, uh, you know, trauma for the passengers sitting around, but it's never a good look. And Boeing's production is just under a lot of scrutiny. So after I mentioned Boeing's CEO talking about quote unquote quality escape, I've read a number of updates. You know, I've spoken to a number of people and basically well, during the pandemic, we had a lot of senior engineering resources leave Boeing, leave even Airbus. And you know, they've hiring back. All these companies are hiring staff, but the new staff just don't have the experience that a lot of the people that left had. And I really think that comes into question with this event. Like, how did a plane go through Boeing's factory and uh, come out with, with something? We don't know exactly what. Something wrong with the door plug. You know, it could have been loose bolts, could have been something else. But the NTSB has said they're definitely focused on the production of this aircraft. And they've, they've dismissed any suggestion that Alaska Airlines uh, could be negligent in this event. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And we'll find out more as the investigation proceeds in the next few weeks. Yeah, no, and I think you're right to point out that uh, the industry is very lucky from a commercial perspective. Of course, uh, you know, of course, we're, we are just talking about 
um, the, the business and commercial perspective here when we when I say this, but uh, the um, you're right that it's lucky the max uh, max eight incident would have been much worse than a max nine incident in terms of its impact on capacity. Um, the other sort of you know I'll put it in quotes fortunate um, aspect of this is that it is January. So if there's one month of the year where Alaska can afford to lose the, some capacity, it's January. So, you know, hopefully uh, this is not, you know, a major safety issue and things can get back to normal. And, you know, if that's the case, uh, the overall commercial impact, financial impact won't really be all that big a deal. It is, by the way, the last thing I'll say about this is that uh, the MAX 9, um, the fact that it is a niche aircraft, don't uh, don't be misled to think that it's a uh, that it's a poor aircraft in any way. I mean, it's excellent. Right. Alaska uses uh, I mean, economically excellent. Alaska uses it uh, and United, for that matter, on a whole different like a wide range of routes. I mean, Alaska uses it to Hawaii from the West Coast. They use it on Transcon. They use it up and down the West Coast. Very very versatile aircraft. The reason why it just yes. doesn't sell is I mean they're they're we won't go into too much detail, but basically because the 10 now exists, which is probably a better option and get more, more seats. Um, and yeah, the fact that it's just too close to the eight uh, in size. So uh, yeah, no, but, but, but a very excellent aircraft for Alaska and United and Copa as well. Perfect. Exactly. A stretch of a stretch that may not need to fly the longest routes, but can add a few more seats on, on those busy shorter routes. But yes, definitely. Yep. With that, yep. we're going to take a break and we will be back to talk about some other news. And we're back. Jay, so this week we had some news out of JetBlue. What's happening there? Yeah, well, JetBlue, which already is uh, sort of swirling in the news with uh, this big spirit merger that's pending and awaiting uh, a judge's ruling. Uh, now we have uh, executive turnover. So uh, Robin Hayes, who's been the CEO for, you know, how long, Ned? I can't up the top oh, of my I head. I want to say 2017, okay, but so, yeah, um, been... I, I, will, I will do a quick Google search. You keep going. 2015, since 2015. 2015, so yeah. Almost so, 10 so, years. Almost 10 years. So he is uh, now stepping down. He's going to hand over the reins to his deputy, Joanna Garrity. And uh, That's right. she's, she's president and chief operating officer. Mm -hmm. So she'll be taking over. And uh, it comes, uh, as we mentioned, you know, at a very uh, interesting time. I'll use use that word. Uh, <laughs> interesting is an interesting word, right? It's uh, <laughs> you don't know what to make of that. But, you know, uh, it's you do have the merger um, uh, pending, which is, um, you know, it's it's the, the, this uh, CEO's transition is happening at a, you know, a, a very uh busy time for JetBlue in that sense. And we'll see if really, it Really? Goes... What, what possibly could be going on with JetBlue? Is uh, <laughs> nothing like a major merger pending or anything? <laughs> right. And we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, if, if, if the merger goes through or not. Um, but even, even aside from the merger, so JetBlue updated its financial guidance for the fourth quarter uh, this week. And, um, you know, at first glance, hey, everything looks great. That you know, demand situation was actually, you know, better than than you know at the upper end of their earlier expectations. And uh, the um, they said the op operationally they did did better than expected during the uh, the holiday period. We know that you know fuel prices have been pretty moderate um, over the past couple of uh, months. So it sounds uh, like a pretty good story, but at the end of the day, JetBlue is still going to lose money in the fourth quarter, which is, eh, that's, uh, 
you know, we'll see what, how others, uh, how others fare, but, uh, you know, you shouldn't really, it's, it's, it's been a while since, uh, since airlines have, um, you know, posted losses. So, so JetBlue has, uh, some, definitely some issues to work through. It's totally separate from the, from the spirit merger. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. JetBlue has a cost problem. They've long had a cost problem. They mm -hmm. have a, um, you know, their, their growth is constrained, which is one reason why they're doing the, they want to do the merger. And then, like you said, there's just, there's other problems that's, uh, as we've seen, you know, we talked about this in the fall, as we've seen sort of, you know, overcapacity come into the U.S. market, airlines have been trying to readjust their route networks. We've heard JetBlue talking about pulling some routes that are, you know, maybe just underperforming and putting planes elsewhere and, and some of that's going on. So JetBlue definitely has some work to do, that's for sure. They do, yeah, and we'll find out more on January thirtieth is when they're actually going to publish their their Q four results. A couple of uh, you know possible reasons why they're struggling. Uh, you know, one as you mentioned, they do have a cost issue. They have a new pilot contract, which is very expensive. It's certainly not uh, endemic just to them. I mean, that's an industry wide phenomenon. But they are dealing with those higher higher labor costs for sure. Now, one thing I'm very interested in learning more about this you know, as, as airlines report their Q4 results is how the Florida and Caribbean markets did. Um, that's some, you know, if you look at some of the airfares out there, it, it tends to suggest that those markets are struggling. Um, and JetBlue is just heavily exposed uh, to, yeah, Florida, Caribbean. So, you know, maybe that's a problem area. I'm always interested in the transcon markets because that's a very, you know, substantial percentage of total ASM flying for JetBlue. So, you know, keep an eye on that. Uh, when I say Transcon, yeah. you know, New York to LA, New York to San Francisco, that kind of thing, Boston over the West the market Coast. market that JetBlue is very exposed to. They're very exposed to that. And then they also had their, you know, uh, dissolution of a, the alliance with American. Maybe that's uh, causing some issues. They have hedges that they fuel hedges that they've placed. And maybe that's not allowing them to realize the benefits of falling fuel prices. Uh, so, you know, maybe, Maybe they, you know, Boston used to be an excellent market for them pre-pandemic, and I don't think it is anymore. I'm, I'm, that's a little bit conjecture there on my part, but I think a lot of that was some of, you know, short-haul business traffic that's disappeared post-pandemic and, you know, the world of more remote working and working at home kind of thing. So, I, you know, it's hard to say which one of those things I mentioned is most responsible for them losing money in, in, in Q4, but uh, I think we'll know more in a couple of weeks. Absolutely, absolutely. And I want to just quickly go back to the CEO transition that we're, we're going to see there. You know, Joanna is a very capable leader. I have sat down with her uh, several times on, on various stages. And, you know, she knows the airline well. Everything that Robin is doing is, you know, what she plans to do so far. I Again, I haven't spoken to her, but she and Robin are in lockstep on their strategy for the airline. While there's work to do, you know, I'm not expecting any significant changes in strategy. She's very much on on topic, and she has the backing of the board. So I'm excited to see see what comes as she takes uh, takes over the top spot. Me too. Me too. It's uh, yeah, an interesting interesting airline to watch. And and I know in the uh, press release that uh, that JetBlue issued about the the succession, um, there was mention of uh, JetBlue uh, of uh, excuse me of Robin Hayes. Uh, having some health issues, I want to say, I mean, the, the word, the word health, uh, you know, was in the press release. Um, I, I don't know what that means, but I only bring it up because, you know, I think they're, 
<laughs> you might in a moment like this, you know, there might be some uh, thoughts of, well, perhaps maybe, you know, the board is looking for a break because maybe they overpaid for spirit. Maybe, you know, the board is not happy with that merger deal since, you know, uh, but I don't think so. I mean, I think it's legitimately did mention health and, and the fact that, you know, Garrity, who's, you know, works closely with Hayes, as you mentioned, is, is, is the choice. It would have been more suspicious if it was someone totally from the outside, you know, so I don't, right. I don't that think there's anything. Been a huge, uh, yeah. That would have been a huge right, change right. for for JetBlue, but this I I don't expect it was going to be like many of the CEO transitions we saw during the pandemic. Um, Oscar Munoz to Scott Kirby, uh, Doug Parker, yep. Doug Parker to uh, <laughs> I'm blanking here, uh, Robert, oh, Robert Isom, Isom, and the mm -hmm. third one was uh, JetBlue. It was Southwest Gary Kelly to um, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Too, yeah, why did I forget? <laughs> Bob that? Jordan. There we go. Bob Jordan. <laughs> the, so uh, I expect Bob Jordan, similar yeah, yeah. transitions. Sorry, I was, we, 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 we both drew blanks there at the same time. I think yeah. it's... Yeah. Yeah, for, for, uh, so for all you listeners, very uh, note, it is very, we're recording this podcast very early on Thursday morning. <laughs> so This is right. This is us. right. And but, Paw Patrol's uh, yeah, on the, on the background history. with my... Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway... So, Jay, that is uh, another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. You can reach myself at er at skift.com. You can reach Jay at js at skift.com. Jay, always a pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Ted. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.